0: This month is an anniversary of sorts for myself, in my career. It marks 19 years that I have been in student ministry. I started when I was 10, and I've uh, worked at 19 years in student ministry, and it has been awesome. It has been a joy, it has been a privilege, it has been energizing, it has been de-energizing, it has been all of those things, it's been a blast, but One thing I notice about students is amazing energy, and it is the fact that one student can stand up and have an effect on the rest of the students. And I have seen one student stand up and serve, and have so many students follow that one student. And I have seen one student take up a cause and give towards that cause, and have many students follow behind and give towards that cause. And some great positive things, but the same way that this one student having an effect on multiple student principle works for the positive, it can also work for the negative. Because I have seen one student stand up and do something really stupid, and a lot of students follow along behind that student. As I was thinking about it this past week, one illustration jumped immediately to mind. My wife and I used to work in uh, West Philadelphia in a housing project there. And so we used to take students there, and we used to stay at this amazing old church, Christ Memorial Church in West Philly. And you can see it there. It's a beautiful-looking structure, uh, very, very old. As a matter of fact, the building was so old that um, things were kind of falling apart in the building. You see, it, it used to have 170-foot Uh, spire there right on the corner of the building. It was amazing and beautiful. But shortly after we stayed there one year, um, the spire just kind of fell into the street. Uh, I don't think our students did that, but uh, I think it was structural at that time. It just fell over into the street. But the church was amazing. But one summer when we were there, and we were doing a day camp in this housing project, during the evening time, I walk outside, and one of our leader students named Aaron was on the roof And he had our tug-of-war rope looped around one of the spires. And he was standing in such a way as to leap off of the roof and swing to another part of the roof. Not only was this a bad idea, there were six or eight other students lined up on the edge of the roof waiting for their turn. Because it was like, if, well, if Aaron's going to go out and do this, this looks like a lot of fun. Let's try. And so I call up to Aaron very calmly because I don't want to alarm anybody. Aaron, what are you doing? <laughs> Duh, I'm swinging across the spire. <laughs> Aaron, do you think that's a good idea? I don't know. Maybe not such a good idea. Aaron, how about you take everybody back inside and come back down to earth? Then we'll really talk. Okay, right? And and before you have this feeling of like, oh, those crazy kids, they're always talking themselves into stuff bad like that. Um, probably every one of us in this room has been affected by another person and done something stupid, right? Uh-huh. That that one person's actions can affect us positively and can affect us negatively. It's it's kind of the way that the world works, whether we like it or not. And so we're gonna talk about that today. We're gonna talk about two people who have affected all of humanity. We're continuing on in our series in Romans, courtroom to living room. And the two people that we're talking about today are the reason that we have the courtroom and the reason that we have the living room. So we're going to talk about Adam and Jesus. Now, I asked Greg Gallagher, our uh, AV tech guru, to kind of use his penmanship and write two signs that said Adam and Jesus— this is what I got right there, uh, Adam, but so we, we went back, we did it right. So we're talking about Adam, and we're talking about Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans chapter 5, if you want to grab it and turn there. If you want to just grab a pew Bible, it's on page 1783. And we're going to talk about these two men and the... The system that is in place, this courtroom, living room system that is in place, and how it all kind of got set up. So Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12, it says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still everyone died. From the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. Adam sinned, and and what he did was, he kind of drew this line for us here, kind of down the middle. And when he drew this line, he kind of created this barrier. And if... We can just walk it all the way down here. Um, Now, for those of you who are sitting on the side of Adam, I apologize. For those of you who are sitting on the side of Jesus, well played. There'll be a time afterwards to respond for you on this side. But what Adam did was he kind of created this barrier. And, And we know back in Genesis, it tells us about this original sin, And if you were here a few weeks ago, Steve did a great job talking to us about what happened. What happened at the fall. See, God placed Adam in the garden, it says, in Genesis chapter 2. And he placed him in the garden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will surely die. If you eat the fruit, you will die. God placed Adam in the garden, and what he did was he gave Adam a choice. Because we know in relationship, for it to be a real relationship, there has to be choice. There has to be a way to opt out. There has to be a way to hurt the other person in some way. There has to be choice in relationship to have love. God could have created robots that just obeyed him blindly, did whatever he wanted, but that wouldn't be real relationship. So God gave Adam a choice. And what God did was God gave him all of these yes things. God was like, yes, do this, do this, do this, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. One don't. At this time in creation, there was all of this do, there was one don't. What did Adam do? He did the don't. He went against what God said. And because Adam sinned, death, condemnation, sin entered the world. He didn't die physically right then, but he died spiritually right then. He had this relationship with God where he got to walk with God, but after he sinned, the relationship changed. The barrier was put in place. And because Adam Sinned it was passed on to the rest of us. Verse twelve Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam 's sin brought death, death spread to everyone because everyone sinned. and we know in our study of romans romans three nine says all of us are under the power of sin three twenty three says that all of us sin and fall short of god 's glorious standard that yes, it, it is. Adam, but it's also us. And and it's it's born in us. David says in Psalm 51, Surely I have been a sinner since birth. That Adam's legacy that he left us is this inclination towards sin. The legacy that Adam left us, the system that he gave us, is sin nature. Galatians 5 tells us what this sin nature looks like. It says the results are very clear of your sin nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. That's the sin nature that Adam left us. This sin nature that leaves you feeling empty and lonely and disappointed and always looking over your shoulder, waiting for all of this sin that you committed in the past to kind of catch up with you and run you over. You see, in a way that we can't really understand, we were included with Adam when he sinned. That, that the penalty that Adam received is the penalty that we receive. And the propensity towards sin that Adam had is the same propensity towards sin that we have. It's this sin nature that we have. And, and you know that if, if you've had children. You don't have to teach children how to sin, they do that on their own. They come pre wired that way. You're like, Did I tell you not to take the cookie? Did you take the cookie? Did I tell you not to touch the DVD player? Did you put the cookie in the DVD player? (laughs) Right? It's it's just the way that that children are. We have a sin nature. We are predisposed to sin. Now, we don't, however, die for the sin that someone else commits. We die for the sin that we commit. It, It says that Adam sinned and sin entered the world... And death spread to everyone, but everyone sinned. Adam introduced it, and this is the legacy that he passed on to us. He passed on to us the legacy of the courtroom. He passed on to us the legacy of sin and condemnation and death. And to that we say, thank you very much. Because this is where I believe we have this cultural clash This is where we say the the world doesn't work like this because how can the sin of one man thousands and thousands of years ago affect our eternal destiny? It, It doesn't seem fair. It seems like that system really stinks. It seems like it's unjust. It's absurd. It's appalling. I was talking to my daughter this past week about things that she could do around the house to help out. And maybe it's a conversation we've had a few times. And so I'm, I'm going through this list of things. You can do this to help. You could do this to help. You could do this to help. And finally she says, Dad, Dad, you can't ask these things of me. Oh, really? And she said, Dad, I didn't ask to be born. <laughs> clever. <laughs> so I said, Very clever. Go to your room. Talk about that later. But what she's saying, right, is I didn't ask to be put into this system. You had me. It's your fault. Right? That's the way I think that we can look at this system. It's like if you have brothers and sisters and they do something wrong and you get spanked for it. That doesn't make sense. If somebody commits a crime in L.A. and the police show up at your door and arrest you. That's the system. And that's why we can say this system stinks. And we think that way because we have no sense of this corporate solidarity. We don't really have a corporate mindset. We have a rugged, individualistic mindset, where we are our own person, and we honestly believe that the choices and that the the decisions that we make alone shape our own future. We love stories of men and women who, you know, he made good choices, and he worked hard, and she started at the bottom, and she worked her way to the top, and she shaped her own destiny. It's like that poem, Invictus, It says, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Those are the things that we like. We don't have the corporate mindset. We don't have a strong sense of solidarity. Now, I believe we have a strong sense of solidarity for winners. You know, we we can have solidarity with winners. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, so I root for the best football team in the NFL, the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? We win a lot of Super Bowls. They lost last weekend to Denver because that's what God wanted, (laughs) according to the media, right? That sense of we, together we are winners, they are losers, right? Somebody in your family wins the lottery, you're like, hey, we're family, If somebody makes poor financial choices and wants to borrow money from you, you're like, you should learn that lesson on your own. We have solidarity with winners, but we don't have a corporate mindset when it comes to this system. But we need to understand that God created us for community. And the individualistic mindset that we have actually comes from sin in our lives. It comes from sin in our worlds. The Bible has a very strong corporate mindset where God understands that one person can do something and it can have an effect on the whole. If you just look at Joshua chapter 7 in the Old Testament, Israel went out to fight a battle that they should have easily won. As a matter of fact, they only sent 3,000 men into this battle, and they got crushed. And when they came back running to Joshua, and Joshua got on his knees and he prayed before God, God said this, you lost because Israel sinned. And as it turns out, it was one man, his name was Achan, and he took things that he shouldn't have taken that was against God's command to take, and he hid them in his tent. And because Achan took these things, this one man, the entire nation lost this battle. And God even looked and he said, guess what? Israel sinned. So whether we like it or not, this is the legacy that Adam left us. Adam left us sin nature. Adam left us death and condemnation and separation and a barrier. But I want to tell you this morning that this corporate mindset, this principle of solidarity is a good thing. And we need to understand that it's a good thing. Because the same way that we receive the legacy that Adam passed on because of his disobedience, we can receive the grace and the justification that Jesus passes on because of his obedience. You see, the same principle that gets us into this mess in the first place is the principle that gets us out of this mess. Where one man can do one thing and affect everybody negatively, another can do something and affect everybody way more and if you wanted to say well listen I want to I want to opt out of this system I do not want to be in this system I want to take my chances in the courtroom you see if you opt out of this system guess what you opt out of this system as well if you think you can opt out of this legacy then, then you can't be a part of this legacy look what it says in, in Romans chapter 5 starting in verse 15 there is a great difference between Adam's sin And God's gracious gift, for the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins." For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. The same way that we're corporately connected to Adam, we can be corporately connected to Jesus. Every human being is deeply connected. Deeply affected by the sin of Adam, and every human can be deeply affected by the grace of Jesus. And and before we go further, I don't want you to think that this was some kind of like 50 50 struggle. Let's remember that Adam is creation, and Jesus is the creator. That Adam was a pattern, a symbol. He was a representation of things to come so that we could look at Adam and his life and understand that what he did affected everybody. Oh, okay, so what Jesus does affects everybody even more. The passage says, even greater. How much greater? Two different times, what we just read says, even greater. Look at it this way it's as math. The grace of Jesus is infinity. The sin of Adam is numerical. And so you need to understand this. We have infinity grace here. We have numerical sin here. It started with one, one sin. And from there, it snowballed. And you know that the more people that are out there, the more sin that there is. And so it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But it's still just a number. And any time you subtract even this large number from infinity, what do you get? Infinity you still get infinity. That you can have all of this sin on this side that just keeps growing exponentially. It's still numerical. It still does not affect the even greater grace of Jesus that he offers in our lives. That all of this sin over here isn't gonna take anything away from the grace of Jesus. It's that much greater. Adam sinned, Jesus obeyed. Adam turned away from God and disobeyed his commandment. Jesus' face was always towards his father, always obeying. Adam brought condemnation. Jesus brought justification. Where in the courtroom, as you stand under the legacy of Adam, because of the life of Jesus, the judge who is God can look at you and say, because of grace, you are free. You're free to go because of the work of grace. Adam sealed the fate of all people, and Jesus enabled all people to escape that fate and have a relationship with God that's closer than ever before. On Adam's side, sin reigns. On Jesus' side, grace reigns. The grace of God reigns on this side, and I think we have difficulty with that sometimes. We have difficulty thinking that God looks at us through this lens of grace because of Jesus. I think a lot of times we have this kind of mathematical view of God where he has this scale and he takes everything good that we've done and he puts it on one side of the scale and then he takes everything bad that we've done and he puts it on the other side of the scale and the bad side is always kind of tipped down. That God looks at us kind of based on performance. And I think we... We think that way because there are so many systems in our society that are based on performance. When you get your paycheck at work, do you go into your boss and are you just like, oh, thank you for this. This is amazing. I appreciate it. I mean, it's not enough that I get to sit behind a desk and fill out reports for you all day, but to get paid for it, wow. No, you've earned it. It's, it's performance-based, right? Right? Students, the grades that you get are based on your performance, even though you tell your parents, I didn't deserve that grade. I mean, we pay big bucks to athletes that can throw touchdowns and slam dunk basketballs and kick goals. You know, performance-based. We love those people. Fortune 500 has 500 most successful people, 500 richest people in the world. They don't have 500 biggest losers, It would be interesting. I'd buy it just to see if I was in there. But listen, grace has nothing to do with your performance. Did you hear that? To be in the living room, to experience this grace, it has nothing to do with your performance. That's why it's such good news. That's why you feel like, oh man, I'm, I'm not worthy to stand in the living room. No. You're worthy to stand in the living room because of the grace of Jesus, because of his obedience, because of the sacrifice that he made. Look at verses 20 and 21 in Romans chapter 5 here. It says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were which is true. The law didn't bring relief from Adam's sin. It basically just showed how many more ways that we mess up, how much more sin we can do. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead. And this this word where he says God's wonderful grace, it's the only time in the New Testament that Paul uses this word, and basically he puts like the word super in front of the word grace. It's like God's super grace. It's like super abundant grace, and literally it means beyond surplus. So like surplus is more than enough, right? Well, Well, this is, it's not just more than enough grace. It's like beyond more than enough like paul can't make it big enough for us to understand beyond surplus grace rules instead giving us right standing with god and resulting in eternal life through jesus christ our lord let me tell you again your performance is not what gets you into the living room of course there's going to be stuff that you're dealing with. You have lived this legacy for a long time, and when you come into the living room, you're still kind of shaking the dust off of this old way. But you're in the living room because of the grace of God. This Christmas I caved in on a long-standing request from my children. And we got a puppy. Now, some of you think that's very sweet, and those of you who have had puppies are just shaking your head at me right now. What were you thinking? I came home Thursday afternoon from work. My wife was out walking with a good friend of ours, and I walked into the house and I heard screaming. Not bad screaming, joyful screaming, happy screaming. My two girls um, were screaming, and so... I popped into uh, where the screaming was coming from, and they were in the bathroom, and uh, they had taken all the hand soap and other soap and uh, all the soap in the greater Salem area. I don't know. There was a lot of soap. Uh, And they were putting it in their hair and making these really cool hairdos, right? Soap was everywhere. It was on the floor. It was like a slip and slide in there. It was awesome. So I'm like, what are you doing? We're making hairdos, Dad. Okay, clean it up, because that's my first response. Clean it up. And so... As I'm telling them to clean it up and walking out, my daughter looks at me and she goes, oh, by the way, the dog threw up. (laughs) Well, did you clean it up? No. I didn't ask to be born. (laughs) She didn't clean it up. Well, where's the dog? In the kennel. So I go into the living room while they're still making all this noise in the slip and slide, and I see a lot of throw up. And I look in the kennel, and the dog is thrown up twice more in the kennel. So I scream to the girls, I need your help. I need your help. Come out here. It's your dog. You said you'd take care of it." So they come out, and it's like a slip and slide, and soap's everywhere. And I take the dog out of the kennel to clean up the inside. I don't want the dog in there. And it proceeds to throw up, honest to goodness, six more times in my living room. Oh, I'll go behind the couch and throw up. Uh, I'll go by over, the, over by the door and throw up. Uh, six more times. And I'm just like, oh, the kids are a mess and screaming and crazy and slip and slide and scared of dog throw up. And, and the dog is just everywhere. It's just amazing. I'm like, you're only this big. And everywhere. So I did the only sane thing that I could do. I threw some clothes in a backpack, the dog in a kennel, and I put all three of them on the curb. And I said, don't come back. You messed up the living room. Right? No, I didn't, because I love them. It doesn't mean that we don't have to clean stuff up. But I feel like sometimes we have this image that we're going to hit the ceiling of God's grace. That, that we get invited into the living room and we're a little bit nervous and then we're afraid that we mess up and we do something wrong, that God's basically just going to pack us up and set us on the curb and be like, don't come back. You See, it's not, it's not an in or out question. That, that's just a sanctification question. That's a holiness question. That's a, a lifetime journey of you made perfect and being made perfect, as it says in Hebrews 10. But you're not in the living room because of your performance. You're in the living room because Jesus' sacrifice gave us this grace that is beyond surplus. And you're not going to hit the ceiling on it. And you know, earlier we are like, well, this, this legacy that we've received, it, it, this stinks. It's not fair. Guess what? This really isn't fair either but you can stand in freedom in the living room because of God's grace. And if you feel like you're in the living room, but you are always just worried about the stuff that you're still shaking off from this old life, I pray that you would understand the freedom and the beyond surplus, infinity grace that is being offered to you, that allows you to stand in confidence in freedom in the living room. And maybe, just maybe you have never... Accepted that invitation. Maybe you've never received, verse 17 in chapter 5 says that if you receive it, and maybe you, I've done so many bad things, there's no way I could get in the living room. But there is. What did we do to receive the legacy that Adam left us? Well, we were born. What do we do to receive the legacy and the grace? that Jesus offers, well, we become born again, born into this new system. We receive that by faith. If you haven't received that, it's my prayer that today would be the day that you would respond to that invitation of grace.